Easy. All right, so uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, that's where we're going to be at today. Let's start with a moment of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for this time that we gather and learn about your word. Lord, we ask that you would uh, guide us as uh, we hear it and as we apply it to our lives this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so happy Independence Day to everyone. Um, let me give you a little bit of history as far as Independence Day goes. Not a lot, but just a little bit. Um, the resolution for American independence was presented and proposed to the Continental Congress on June 7, 1776. That's when it was proposed, June 7. Now, the Declaration of Independence was signed and adopted on July 4, 1776, obviously. That day, July 4, 1776, a flag was raised to declare independence from Great Britain. America was its own country. That flag, the flag that we have in this room with us today, is a symbol of our freedom, one of which we are practicing right now, the freedom to gather and worship in a church that is not controlled by a government. On July 4th, 1776, was not the first time that America's red, white, and blue flag was displayed in the air. It was recorded that about one week earlier, the American flag was proudly displayed from the mast of an American ship, ship called Nancy. This was believed to be the first time the American flag was ever flown in open water. Now, why am I telling you about Nancy, the first ship to fly the flag? Because this American ship, named Nancy, was wrecked. And today's sermon is about being shipwrecked. So June 29th, 1776, which is my mom's birthday, by the way, um, not 1776, but... <laughs> June 29th, Nancy was engaged in naval warfare, and she was outgunned by two British ships, so she began to sail to a nearby port, but the fog was so heavy that she ran aground. Realizing that they were sitting ducks, the crew began to put her cargo into smaller boats to be taken ashore. They didn't get all the cargo, though. 100 powder kegs remained on the ship. The sailors took her sail and they wrapped it around one of those kegs. They lit the sail on fire to work as a delayed fuse. The last sailor on the ship climbed up the mast and brought down that American flag. The British saw the removal of the flag and they thought the Americans were surrendering the ship to the British, so they quickly boarded Nancy to take her over. Soon after, the powder kegs were ignited by the burning sail, and the ship was blown to pieces. Folks, shipwrecks are never good. 
especially in 1776. Or in the days when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. Oh, you can wreck your donkey cart or your oxen wagon and pick all your stuff back up and fix the wheels and brush off your knees and go about your day. But a ship, on the other hand, it's a bad deal if you've wrecked a ship. Almost everything would be lost. There's no gathering things back together. You are floating in the water or clinging onto a piece of the wrecked ship. And you didn't have life jackets back then, at least that I know of. And even if you were a good swimmer, you couldn't swim thousands of miles back to shore. There were no radios to radio the nearest ship to help out. Being shipwrecked was a bad deal. So when Paul uses the word shipwrecked, He's not meaning brush off your knees and go about your day. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles, cling to your faith in Christ, and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. And as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Now, would you say that your faith is on a steady course? Or could you be in danger of shipwreck? The scripture warns us of the possibility of being shipwrecked getting so far off course that we find ourselves beaten by the winds of the world and going down spiritually. Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight, to cling to the faith in Christ and to keep his conscience clear so that he wouldn't shipwreck his faith. Now, here's four habits that will slowly divert our course to the point where we are in dangerous waters, quickly going down and eventually stranded on an island, isolated from our brothers and sisters in the faith who were once there to help us out. Four habits that will lead you to being shipwrecked. Loving the world, first one. Oh, it starts so innocently. We never intend to desire the things of the world more than the things of God. But before we know it, we've made idols of the objects of our desires and our faith pays the price. Scripture warns us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love the Father of the Father in you. The world wants your love and affection. Don't love anything in the world more than you love Jesus. When something else captures your heart, something of the world, it will eventually destroy your faith. The first habit to get into 
to shipwreck your faith is loving the world. The second habit that you can get into that will shipwreck your faith is neglecting God's word. One of the easiest ways to become attached to the world and to pursue temporary things rather than the eternal things is to neglect God's word. If we weren't, we aren't constantly pouring God's word and principles into our hearts and our minds, then we will be stained by the perceptions and priorities of the world in which we live. Matthew chapter 13, verse 22. In Jesus' parable of the sower, <clears throat> he warns us about the seed that fell among thorns. It represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth so no fruit is produced. Reading and understanding Scripture strengthens our faith in God. Sometimes we struggle to understand this faith. Don't neglect God's Word. Now the third way that we can shipwreck our faith is to trust in our feelings. While we should be discerning of the Holy Spirit's direction and aware of his conviction in our hearts, we can never put our feelings over the facts of who God is and what his word says. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 tells us that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Our feelings can mislead us by making us think that God has abandoned us when the facts of his word say, Hebrews 13, he will never fail you. He will never abandon you. Our feelings might tell us that God is angry with us and that he will not give us another chance. But the fact of his word says that he will never fail you. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Base your faith on feelings. Base your faith not on feelings, but on the facts of who God is and what he says in his word. Your feelings can go up and down, but the facts about God that are found in his word never change. The fourth way that we can shipwreck our faith is by relying on ourselves. We live in a world that praises self-reliance, but Jesus never did. He stressed God-reliance, which takes faith. When we rely on God, our achievements, our successes are no longer about our abilities. And if they were, we'd only have ourselves to thank. Are you trusting in your own <clears throat> abilities to succeed in life? Are you depending on your own strength or wisdom when it comes to a crucial decision? No longer relying on yourself propels your faith forward in ways you can't imagine. However, to remain self-sufficient is to remain faith inefficient. So there are four ways to shipwreck your faith. 
Now let's go back to what Paul said. In these verses, Paul gives us three ways to guard against shipwreck. Three ways to guard against it. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you early May, they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Fight well, cling to your faith, and keep your conscience clear. Fight well. Now notice, notice that this says, Fight well in the Lord's battles. Not in your own battles. Don't fight your own battles. Fight the Lord's. Oh, if, if, if you are not a fighter, then you're not going to make it very far in the Lord's battles. You don't have to be scrappy, tough, or witty to fight in the Lord's battles. I mean, those things are good. But if he, even if you have trouble making decisions, even if you are super shy, even if you are like me and stick your foot in your mouth all the time, you can still fight well. I don't know if you guys, if I told you about my anniversary, but about a month ago, I took my wife on a hiking trip for our anniversary. One of my buddies called me, and he invited me to go motorcycle riding. And on the phone... I said, oh, man, unfortunately, I'm hiking with my wife. <laughs> and it was too late. The words had already come out. And You know what I meant? It was unfortunate that I couldn't go motorcycle riding with my buddy. Not unfortunate that I was with my wife on my anniversary. My wife is very patient and kind, though. Hey, sometimes we don't feel like we're fighters at all, especially for the Lord. But don't fear. We have to go back to what this verse says when it says they. You see, fight well. May they help you. What is they? It is the instructions that has already been given to Timothy. It is the prophetic words spoken about him earlier. These instructions and prophetic words will help Timothy fight well. Now, what are ways that we can fight for the Lord? We use these, these things that God has told us about us. The Lord has spoken many, many things about us. He has said about you, you who are sitting here today in this church, God has said about you that he loves you. God has said that he will give you strength. He has said that he will never fail you, that you are his masterpiece, and he will give you the words to say when you need them. Fight well with that in mind. And don't forget to fight with prayer. Be a prayer warrior. You know, prayer is so important. Sometimes 
<clears throat> in our lives, there comes a point where we don't feel like there's anything else we can possibly do. When it comes to that situation, pray to God. Pray for help. Pray for insight. Pray that God would intervene. You know, Jesus, when the, the disciples were at a point when they couldn't cast out a, a demon, they couldn't heal someone uh, of a demon, and so they come to Jesus and say, say Jesus, what, why can't we cast out this demon? What, what's wrong? And Jesus says, this kind can only be cast out by prayer, emphasizing the power of our communication with God Almighty. Pray. In all situations, pray. I have a prayer request this morning. In our community, there are four little boys, all of them younger than 12, that just this past week lost their mama. A husband, their dad, who had lost his wife. And folks, we should pray for them. Pray every day because those boys are going to have a rough time. I can't imagine how difficult that must be. Church, it's our responsibility to not only show them love and compassion, but to pray for them. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 tells us that we need to love what is good and hate what is bad. This is another way that we can fight well love what is good now what is good that we can love god is good his word is good and god's word tells us to love others that is good and tells us to hate what is bad sin is bad everything evil is bad and we are told that our enemy is not flesh and blood God is the victor over evil, and he loves us. Therefore, we are to love the sinner and hate the sin. Now, let me bring this back into context. We are talking about how to keep from shipwrecking our faith. When your faith is getting weak, you have to fight for it. If you are on a ship and the storm comes and the ship is being tossed back and forth and it looks like that there's no way that you are going to survive, you're still going to be trying really hard to do everything you can. You're going to be tying things together. You're going to be throwing things overboard that you don't need anymore. You're going to be preparing that ship in any way that you possibly can. Remember uh, Paul, when he was sailing to Rome, he had uh, appealed to Caesar when he was talking to Festus, and so they sent him to Rome to see Caesar, and he was a prisoner on this ship, and he told them in the first place, we shouldn't sail because the weather doesn't look good. It's not advisable, but they sailed that way anyway, and so there he was, um, and the storm came, and it was uh, just beating the ship to pieces, and, and, and they wrapped ropes around the ship to tie it together. They were doing everything they possibly could, and they threw a lot of the cargo off of the ship. Now, that cargo wasn't necessarily bad. Uh, 
the grain that they had, the food that they had, they were transporting. There was nothing evil about that grain, about that food. But they threw it overboard because it was harming or threatening the ship, and it would help them to throw that overboard. There's a lot of things in our lives, folks, that aren't necessarily evil, that aren't necessarily bad. But sometimes we got to throw them overboard. Sometimes we got to get rid of them because they would hinder our relationship with Jesus. And so the crew on that ship with Paul, they were doing everything they could to keep the ship together. Then when everything has been tied up, thrown off, prepared, and the storm is right over top of you, feels like there's nothing else that you can do, you grab a hold of that rope that's got everything tied together, and you hold on to that rope as tight as you possibly can. I don't know if you guys have ever uh, stayed the night in a teepee, but my family um, used to do that a lot. And, and our teepee, uh, we enjoy it because it's really good in a storm. But that doesn't mean that a storm is not going to blow it over. And how a teepee is set up is there's a lot of uh, poles that go around in your cover. But before you put the cover on, you tie a rope around the very top of the teepee, which is about 20 feet high. And that rope comes down to the middle, to the ground, inside the teepee. So when a storm comes and it's blowing on the teepee, you grab hold of that rope and you hold on to it and pull down with all your weight as strong as you can so that it holds the teepee down to the ground while the winds blow it. And the only thing you can do in that situation is, of course, to pray that the teepee is not blown off. And you're holding on to that rope. Now listen, what's the one thing that holds all of our lives together? Christ Jesus. Cling to your faith, Paul tells Timothy. Cling to your faith in Christ. If you let go, especially during a storm, your life is going to fly to pieces. Can you imagine what it's like to be at the mercy of the waves? in the rubble of a crashed ship, maybe one that's washed up on the rocks. The waves just take you and the, the, all the, the, the broken up pieces of the ship and just continue smash against the rocks of the shores, back and forth. Man, that's how life treats us sometimes. We uh, allow ourselves to get shipwrecked and one thing right after another, just crash, crash, crash. We have to hold on to our faith in Christ to get us through that. I like the way 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 puts it in, in the message version of the Bible. It says, keep your eyes open, hold tight to your convictions, give it all you've got, be resolute and love without stopping. Hold tight to your convictions. And keep your conscience clear. Keep your conscience clear. First Timothy 
chapter 19, chapter 1, verse 19, says that some people have deliberately violated their consciences. Deliberately. A deliberate violation of the Holy Spirit's presence in their lives. This last verse says, uh, Hymenius and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so that they might learn not to blaspheme God. Boy, I would hate to have my name recorded in the scripture as an example of how to shipwreck your faith. Hymenius and Alexander. Here's something about these two fellows. We don't know a whole lot. But they must have been working in the church with Paul. Because they were once um, inside of the church and uh, doing God's work. That means they had a good start. They were on the right track. But they must have started loving the world too much. Or neglecting God's word. Maybe they trusted their feelings or started to rely on themselves rather than relying on God. Whatever it was, it was a deliberate violation of their consciences. Some of us start out strong. We give our lives to Christ. And boy, we are on fire. We're on the right track. And then we fade until it's deliberate. One step further away. And all of a sudden... You're just doing whatever your sinful desire tells you to do, and you don't even care anymore. If that's you today, then I want you to come back. Don't get shipwrecked. There is hope for you. There's hope for all of us. Here's something else about Hymenius and Alexander. Notice that it says, I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so that they might learn not to blaspheme God. Learn. Now, I don't think they would need to learn if it was too late for them. But that's pretty, pretty harsh. Handed them over to Satan? So that they might learn. You know, I think we need to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5 to understand this in the context that it is. In this situation, it says, it, it, uh, Paul is talking about a fellow who has sinned inside of the church. And he tells them, you must throw this man out, hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. So here we can see that in the process of handing him over to Satan, sinful nature will be destroyed. Now, we don't really understand exactly what this is saying here, but it looks as if he can still be saved. Maybe that's what the shipwrecking process is for in your life to bring you to the point to realizing 
things are rough doing it my own way. And you decide to give up your own way and turn to the Lord. I've met people who say that they are too far gone. They think that either God won't save them because of all the bad things they have done or that God can't save them because they don't understand how almighty and powerful he is. In both ways, they are wrong. God can save anyone from shipwreck and from going to hell. All you have to do is to cry out to Jesus for forgiveness. And he is faithful to forgive. My brothers and sisters, don't let your faith be shipwrecked. Fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. May God bless you this Independence Day as you go and be the church of Jesus in America. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for this word and Lord, I thank you that even if we come to the point in our lives where we are shipwrecked, God, that you are able to save us, we cry out to you. Lord, I pray that you will help us to not be shipwrecked, to see it coming before it happens, Lord, that we will be able to cling to you, knowing that you are our stronghold. Lord God, I thank you so much for your saving grace. I pray that we will be bold in living out your lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.